Hello, and welcome back to the Hidden Gems Movie Podcast. My name is Sam. I am joined by my podcasting partner, friend, uh, religious enemy, and now I am sad to purport, I think, movie enemy, Steve. Steve, Movie enemy. Cheers, mate. Yeah. <laughs> how are you doing today? <laughs> doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Till we get to the first movie. So... Unfortunately, Steve and I, we don't usually talk about the movies that we discuss before the podcast. Um, we want everything to be fresh. But what I was going to say in the introduction for this podcast before we talked about the movie a little bit was how ex- I'm excited for all the episodes, but how especially excited I was for today's episode because we are doing a topic called bottle movies. And in case any of you guys don't know what a bottle movie is, which I did not, it is a type of movie that takes place in a bottle, i.e., um, a one-room movie, so it could be Twelve Angry Men is one of the most famous examples of a bottle movie. Um, I guess you could consider A Long Day's Journey Tonight a bottle movie in some ways. It's in one house. It never leaves. I was thinking about uh, uh, My Dinner with Andre. That's a perfect example of a yeah. bottle movie. Now, I personally, I love bottle movies. I love them because the writing tends to be impeccable. Um it better be. Some of my favorite movies are bottle movies. I just love that genre so much. And we're actually talking about today about two movies that I really love, that I'm a huge fan of. And the first one, which is, look, I'm not saying it's one of the top 10 movies ever made. It is one of the top 10 movies I truly enjoy. I can watch it at any time. And that movie is 44 Inch Chest. Is love, what's wrong? I've met someone else. What? It's not working between us. That's because you haven't been doing your bit. I don't feel the same as you. I just want to get out. Who is he? I want to know. Who do you think you're going? Tell me his name. Hello? Cole? Colin, what's happened? Hello. Concentrate on your snails. Tonight, the kid gloves are off. You kill him quick, remember? He had your wife. You proud of yourself? Was it worth it? You're in the worst possible place a man could find himself. <laughs> You're in the right. Remember that. That's 20th century Casanova sitting there in a plastic bag. Come on, when we're doing it. Do it. You'll kill him. He's got to, hasn't he? He just needs a bit more time, that's all. You know, get over the shop. I want you dead. I think you owe me that. I toss a coin. Ebbs, I'd skin him alive. And if it was Tails, that's the hard part, Colin. Now, Steve <laughs> told me before the podcast he did not love this movie the way that I adore it. And we're that gonna, is absolutely true. And and we're going to get into that. But before we get into that or the plot summary of this movie, Steve, why don't you tell me some of the stats of this movie first? Okay, 44-inch chest, which I had never heard of until you mentioned it before. Nobody had. Um, I've heard of everyone in the cast. They're all very famous uh, actors, but I've never heard of it. Very good actors. Excellent excellent actors. Excellent actors. Uh, It was released January 15th, 2010 in the UK. 
runs 95 minutes. There were eight different production companies involved in this movie, including I Am Global. And the reason I bring, out I Am, bring up I Am Global is because it also produced Locke. Okay. With another, yeah, yeah. So you just uh, you just gave away the uh, you gave away the second half, but that's fine. The oh, other, I didn't know it was a secret. That's Sorry. cool. It's not really a secret. I actually, put it in the <laughs> podcast description. But the other movie okay. we're doing today is Locke. But anyway, continue. Okay, so don't grouse. Okay, yeah, show a little gratitude. Grousing okay? is my grousing is my thing. I grouse. I'm a <laughs> okay. grouser. Okay. Um, it was um directed by a guy named uh, Malcolm Venville, and it was written by these two guys. Louis Mellis and David Asinto, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, who uh, also wrote a movie I do admire, Sexy Beast. A fantastic movie. Yes. Not as good as 44-inch chest. Okay, okay. Um, the stars, it has one of the stars from Sexy Beast, Ray Winston, but the, uh, the cast is also complemented with Ian McShane, John Hurt, Tom Wilkinson, Stephen Delane, um, he, if that name isn't a household name, household, it probably isn't a household uh, uh, name. He was the guy in, he played Stannis in uh, Game of Thrones, I yes, think. Yes, yeah. however, he caught my attention because he was a fantastic version of Thomas, Thomas Jefferson in the John Adams miniseries. I, oh, I didn't know that. I couldn't take my eyes wow. off of him. I thought he was so good. And I, one of the things I, I do a lot You know is, what? I, I'm just remembering it. I'm just connecting it right yeah. now. And there's this great scene in that miniseries where Adams and Benjamin Franklin are kind of astonished how he, writ, he wrote originally into the Declaration of Independence his abhorrence for slavery. That's right. And they, they, they think this is really odd coming from a slave owner. Not only that, Benjamin Franklin wow. potentially questions his motives because he says that Thomas Jefferson uh, lays all the troubles of slavery at the door of the crown, at the foot of the crown, but he doesn't mention anything about the slaves currently in servitude, and he mentions that should the slave trade be outlawed, those slaves currently in servitude will be much more valuable. Wow. Yeah, that's and, and then Thomas Jefferson says, I hadn't thought of that. But they actually directly... Uh, Franklin directly questions Jefferson's motives, and that's quite a side tangent. But the point is, yes. Stephen Delane's a great actor, and I'm a big fan of his. And I've been a big fan since uh, he played Thomas Jefferson. He has a couple of scenes, in, maybe maybe just one scene actually in Zero Dark Thirty, where he plays a bureaucrat. Yeah, but there is something chilling about his bureaucrat. He's always good. He's in The yeah. Crown as well. I got a lot of Stephen Delane stock, which I don't think will ever hit big. Yeah. But I'm proud to have it. However, I had the earliest Remy Malik stock. Um, I was when I saw the Pacific, and I saw Remy Malik in it. I said that guy is going to be. I didn't actually. I didn't know. I did not think he was going to be a huge star. However, I said this guy is a fantastic actor. Little did I know he would end up becoming a big star and winning an Oscar for an abysmal film. <laughs> but that being said, my stock, which I bought at like $2 a share, is now worth like $200 a share of Remy Malek stock. If only. <laughs> All right, so, so continue. Um, it was uh, May, oh, oh, it also stars uh, Joanne Whaley, um, mm -hmm. formerly Joanne Whaley-Kilmer. She used right. to be married to uh, Val Kilmer. She has kind of a, a, a much smaller role than, yeah. than anyone but, else. But, but it's significant and important. Well, uh, we, we're going to talk about that. Uh, it made uh, nothing. Yeah. It uh, it made even less than nothing in the U.S. <laughs> we're talking, yeah. um, uh, my house is worth more than what it made. Oh, okay. my God. Yes, yes. Wow. It, was, it did, not, did no business. And maybe there was a reason for that. I don't know. Maybe it went straight to... Um, so I feel doubly appreciative ah, and protective of this film. That's what this series is for. This is what this podcast is for. I saw it when it came out. I loved it. 
And whenever um, I meet someone who likes movies, I, it's one of my first recommendations. And that's why I'm so heartbroken today. You know, um, I'm really down. I'm Quentin really Tarantino down. says uh, when he goes out with a girl, he takes her to see one particular uh, Howard uh, a Howard Hawks movie. I, I forget what I think it's El Dorado with. Uh-huh. Uh, 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 John Wayne and yep. Dean Martin. I, I don't know it. if it's El Dorado. I think it's El Dorado. Yeah. And 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 afterwards, he asks her for uh, about the movie. And if they don't like it, he says it's usually over. <laughs> yeah. So I think if this had been the first movie we ever talked about, I'm mm-hmm. not sure we'd be friends today. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, you have enough credit with me. Okay. So I so my stock will go down a little, but that's okay. Oh, just, I think, just a couple dollars. We'll just a couple just, dollars a share. Your good. stock was like, we'll say, three hundred dollars a share. It's like wow. it's like two ninety five. Two ninety five. Two ninety five. <laughs> okay. Not a significant hint, but something I got to keep my eye on. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you tell us what this is about, and uh, we can, we can hash it out. Okay. So this movie, first of all, opens up in a fantastic opening sequence, and I want to mention this because this is kind of what this whole movie is about, where. The song, I Can't Live If Living Is Without You, which I'm going to attempt to poorly sing right now. It's like, I can't live if living is without you. It's Harry Nielsen, right? I think that, I think, right. it, I think it was. So it starts off, you hear this song blaring, and there's this house, and it's been completely wrecked. I mean, just like things have been smashed and broken, and you see <laughs> the body of Ray Winstone, Winston Winstone, and he's on the floor on his back. And you think this guy's been murdered or something, right? Like his eyes are open, but he doesn't appear to be breathing. But what you find out relatively quickly is this guy uh, that Ray Winstone plays, his name is Colin Diamond, has found out that day that his wife is leaving him. And not only is his wife leaving him, she is leaving him for a younger French waiter, a good-looking French waiter. This movie takes place in London. And what happens after this is Ray Winstone gathers um, his buddies, like I think about five of his friends approximately. Four, I think. Four of his friends. <laughs> And you don't know what these people are or what they do, who they are. They could be the mob. They could not be the mob. You don't actually know. That's an original point. That yeah. is a very original point. You don't know what they do. And they, in the very beginning of this movie, you, with almost no context or setup, they kidnap this French waiter out of the restaurant he's working in, put him into, into a van, take him to a derelict, abandoned house in some crummy part of the city, and for the next 90 minutes, they debate whether or not they should kill him. And that is what the movie is. The movie is Ray Winstone and his friends taking this French waiter who has been um, making coitus with his wife, making a cuckold of him. They take him to this abandoned house, and they are having a very extremely entertaining debate over whether or not he needs to be killed. The assumption is, of course they will kill him, and rather painfully. But Ray Winstone is not completely convinced yet. And Ray Winstone's name in the movie is fantastic. His name is Colin Diamond. Uh, Steve, how'd I do on this? I uh, Pretty good. Okay. Pretty good. I, I like how you, you, meant, you mentioned the opening. Mm. You have one of those Brian yeah. De Palma slow-moving yeah. yeah. without a cut uh, uh, showing us everything in the apartment it's being hilarious. turned over. Well, you don't know that at first yeah, right. because the song. you... you, right, you, you, you uh, uh, the camera sweeps ac- across this devastated apartment, yeah. and it lands on the body of Ray Winston. You think he's dead because he's just staring there. He yeah. looks dead, and then all of a sudden he blinks. Yeah, and then you know, from that point on, it's you, you can't always depend on the tone of this movie. 
Okay, because at first you think this is, this is a scene of a murder because you know it probably has something to do with crime. Although these four, these five guys could be librarians, but if they are, they're the toughest five librarians in, in the world. This movie is a delightfully hysterical drama. That's the best <laughs> way I can put it. This movie, all right, so Steve, as you said, you, you weren't crazy about this movie. I'm crazy about this movie. I'm going to tell everyone why I love this movie, and part of me, why I tell them why I love this movie, is going to be a defense of the movie and an attack on all your positions. Okay. Um, <laughs> but basically this. this mo- all right, so this movie is an actor's dream and a script writer's dream. I mean, it has some of the most compelling, entertaining, rhythmic, funny dialogue you will ever hear in a movie and it is just an absolute delight to listen to these four oddball characters who are all incredibly performed um there's an old man named peanut he's a filthy prejudiced dirty awful old man he's played by john hurt there's a character named archie he's played by tom wilkinson archie uh, if he's a gangster then he's a very sweet natured one because he lives alone <laughs> with his mother he's a mama's boy he's yeah. a mama's boy he lives alone with his elderly mother however he is completely down and supportive of killing this french waiter there is the the sadistic charming um you know sociopathic character played by Stephen Delane his name is i think mal m a l m a l it's either mel or mal um and he's quite good in it and mal m a l which is perfect obviously yeah, mal, perfect for name malevolent yeah. basically <laughs> um and then in one of the really i mean i think in the standout performance of the movie is ian mcshane ian mcshane plays a homosexual gangster who is one of his great pleasures is to throw his homosexuality in the face of all of his friends. Who particularly may, old but, Peanut. <laughs> particularly old Peanut, who they may not be comfortable with his homosexuality. And if you don't know who Amy McShane is, he's most famous for playing uh, Al Swearingen in Deadwood, in which he's a, a revelation. I mean, he that is one of the great performances of that decade. Um this movie is just a delight. It's fantastically directed in terms of being in a closed space. The cinematography always keeps you there. And I just don't see how you cannot have fun in this movie, especially because this is the best version of a Guy Ritchie movie. And the fact that you can like, we were talking about the delightful hilarity of Guy Ritchie scripts and how much fun they must be to play. The fact you could like a Guy Ritchie movie, Steve, <laughs> and not like this movie is shocking to me. Okay, I think one of the biggest knocks you hold against me is how much I admire plotting. Also your I bald think, head. Um, uh, what? Also your bald head. Uh, I want to <laughs> let you guys know this is absolutely not true. I have the hairline of a Brad Pitt you don't, uh, he, he's, of course, uh, no, no, my, my, my hairline goes back to my ankles. That's, yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah. Guy Ritchie structures, uh, has great dialogue. Okay. Yeah. I, I would feel it would be unsatisfying if you don't put it on a, um, a hanger <laughs> of a plot where you have advancement. Here, you know what this movie kind of reminds me of most? I, I'm sure you, uh, this might surprise you. Diner. <laughs> This movie reminds me of Diner. A movie I don't like. You don't like that movie, but I found something very similar to both movies. One, nothing really happens. True. But the (laughs) the dialogue is entertaining. I give you that. I totally give you that. And by the way, I think this is a movie well worth watching. I I would uh, put it in my my category of of hidden gems as well. But I don't think it's that great. And I found it unsatisfying because it lacked... The kind of structure that that 
um, you know, you, the, the kind of dramatic development that you cling to with those kind of movies. Now, when you have a pure comedy like uh, like uh, Diner, it's just the pure joy which you got out of this movie of the hilarious dialogue. I was still waiting for dramatic development, which never came. Yeah. So the plot point of this movie is whether or not. Um the, the, the on the surface plot point is whether or not Ray Winstone, Colin Diamond, is going to kill what they call this frog waiter. They call him a frog, <laughs> which I think is a derogatory term for French people in England, which I think is really funny, probably because they eat frogs, I guess. I really you, you've don't... heard that before, right? You've heard fro- no, French people refer to frogs? Really? But, okay. but it, wasn't, it was something that struck me as like, oh, I see that. Frogs. Mm. And I assume because they eat frogs, but I don't know Frog otherwise. legs, yeah. 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 So... Um, but the real plot point isn't actually whether or not he's going to kill this guy. This movie is about the male ego and personal revelation. Um, Ray Winstone's great in this movie. He plays a man who is so heartbroken as to be deranged. Um, he is often rambling to himself in these nonsensical rantings because he's so upset that this woman he loved so much has left him. I mean, they show some back... It's hard to explain. They show... Uh, you know, back scenes. What do you call it? backstory? Of his flashbacks. W- flashbacks with his wife. But those flashbacks are very uh, yeah. almost immediate. It, they happen yeah. like the day before. Yeah, he comes home with flowers for his wife for yeah. no other reason than he loves her. Right? He's absolutely sandbagged. He's abs- He's absolutely sandbagged when she tells him that she's going to leave him, that she's cheating on him. And you say to yourself, "Well, he's the victim because he's a great husband and she's been cheating on him." But he beats her after that. He 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 physically assaults her. And well, the funny thing is, they don't show that in the first flashback. No, they don't. You they don't understand yeah. just how, yeah. well, one, how deeply he's affected, and two, what a scumbag he is. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of these things where it's, I don't get the impression he's ever hit her before, but he, but I think maybe she knew it was in him. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah. Like, because if my wife did that to me, I would never assault her. Never, I'd be just as heartbroken. But I wouldn't. I'm not. I'm not a crazy person. I wouldn't. He throws her through like a glass door. I mean, it's really brutal. Yeah. Um, but this man, who's still nonetheless, even after he's physically assaulted her and she runs away and he doesn't even know where she is, he is heartbroken. He's devastated. He is a crying, bump, you know, bumbling mess for the entire movie. When it's not easy to be because he's doing this in front of his four... That's right, his four macho, macho brutal uh, and his, friends. And his homosexual friend, by the way, just as macho, if not more than the rest of them. The funny thing... Funny thing is, I see um, uh, the Ian McShane character as sort name, of the, the um, in the movie, he's called Meredith, okay? Meredith, okay. He is sort of like... He's the devil. He should be... <laughs> I was going to say, he's a shoulder angel, and the and then old Peanut and, and uh, oh. the other guys are the, the uh, devil on his shoulder trying to get him to kill the guy, and Meredith, although he says at one point, if it were him, this guy would be... I'd skin him yeah, already. Yeah, exactly. But, but he doesn't really mean that because... I think he's trying to, if not persuade Colin not to kill the waiter and his wife, mm-hmm. he's more like, think about it. I yeah. want you to, I want you to think about it. And it's he is the catalyst for the any whatever whatever so, revelation he has. So like, all I, these guys are cool as a cucumber, but nobody's cooler than Meredith. Yes, and he never loses composure. He never loses. He he, he always talks like this. Yes, like Colin. He purrs. Yeah, he's like, this is what I would do, <laughs> yes. Colin, if I was in your situation. Yes. He's like, I'd skin him alive. He goes, but here's the thing, Colin. He's like, he's like, I don't get attached to people. He's like, it's too much for me. He's like, he's like, I'm not. He's like, I'm not the man that you are. So I wouldn't be in this position to begin with. But 
Every actor in this movie who's a fantastic actor in their own right is given a devastating monologue. Something that if you were like, you know, one of these losers, sorry, but if you are one of these losers who does <laughs> other people's monologues and like, or let me put this way, let me shine the light on myself. I would love to be one of these losers who does one of these monologues for a group of like six people in like a rundown, you know, theater house where I'm just doing a monologue of someone else's game. You know what? I'm judging other people. Really, I'm judging myself for something I want to be doing. Um, if, but, you can ju- if you can reach just one person. Right. <laughs> but every one of these actors is given a moment that is just absolutely breathtaking. You know why each one of them took the script. And I'm going to sort of step on... Um, best line here because i have many best lines in this movie none of them are a single best line Uh but there is this moment when colin is having an anxiety attack i mean he feels like he can't breathe he's really freaking out he's saying i can't breathe i can't breathe and ian mcshane meredith comes up to him and he starts saying because he goes colin you're all right you're all right mate all right look at me you're all right you're all right you understand what i'm saying you are all right all right you are going to be all right you're all right mate because you're all right and the way he f- he is able the actor to say you're all right in like 24 and two dozen different ways is astonishing and breathtaking and delightful. And if you watch this movie and you don't have a giant shit eating grin on your face (laughs) throughout the entire movie, you're watching it wrong. He's trying to hypnotize Colin. Yeah. Is what he's trying to do. Hypnotize him into calm. Oh, he he, he regains his composure at least for a little while. Yeah. It's funny because the other three uh, friends kind of freak out. Yeah. Because I, apparently they've never seen Colin do this and, He's the and collapse. Whatever they are, Colin is the leader. Yeah. I'm not 100% sold, though, that they are gangsters. I know it's weird because they probably are, but the fact they don't mention it makes me not so sure. And Colin Diamond, you know what they might be? They might be in the casino business. Because hmm. people who work in the casino business maybe straddle that line between criminality and the legit world. Meredith has a really nice apartment. Yeah. And, and it, the money's also, coming from somewhere. And he gambles as well. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, he, there's a there's a big tangent about Meredith. There's a lot of sort of like non-relevant, non-sequiturs in this movie. And one of them is Meredith telling Colin a story about all this money he won at the casino the other night. And he makes it sound like he goes to the casino often. So now I'm actually starting to wonder... If these guys are in the casino business, I would I would tend to think not because I, th- I think you know what maybe um, they're employed in the periphery some of the some of the more dirty uh, yeah. maybe they do some of the dirty business for casinos I, I, that I could you know that I think about I get the sense that Colin is the straight one in the sense that he actually is the one who's not totally engaged in criminality and it's why he is the one who leads the most normal straight-laced life he has a wife and children interesting because he has a force of a thug yeah absolutely (laughs) that's the thing he is a thug in in a modern day dad's you know skin right he's Mm. pretending to be something he's not but he does love his wife deeply nonetheless and the personal revelation in this movie, and I'm not going to give away plot points, but the personal revelation... What plot? <laughs> I don't like plots. We, we'll get into that in a second. Okay. But the personal revelation in this movie is how to love his wife, how to be unselfish with his love, and part of that is understanding beyond his own hurt, beyond his own anger. Um, 
This movie is an internal one. It's about the male ego and what men think they deserve versus what they are obligated to do. And I just think it's fantastic. I think that... I, I didn't get what you got as far as a personal revelation as to how to it. love. Because he is 10 miles away from learning how... You know, an, an unselfish kind but the most of love. But the most important plot point in the movie is his personal revelation. Why he does what he does. <laughs> I think the only, the only personal revelation, uh, or actually the only adoption of, uh, of a change of character, is him trying to come to, uh, trying to not be the savage that he really wants to be. That's fine. You know? Fighting oh, impulses yeah, yeah. can Granted. be a revelation. But here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I want to ask you this question. Yeah. I know you you know the, the guy yeah. who, who whose, whose movie it is yeah. is supposed to ask right. a question. And I asked you this before and I'm sure you've thought about it. I watched this movie and I was so unsatisfied <sighs> with with Hurts. the with, with how the movie turned out. I watched it again the next day. I wanted to spot the point at which or we give I'm not going I'm here? not going to give anything away, but I I want to spot the point at which a column decides what to do. And I couldn't really find it. I I believe the point at which he spots it is Colin starts having what can be best described as a hallucinogenic, heartbroken fever dream. Um, and I, that scene, I think, is going to put people off. And that's, just, that's another reason why I watched that movie. I have two friends Again. whose Sorry. opinions I admire on movies more than anyone others. It's yours, of which you're, you have been now degraded in my eyes. Thank you, and uh, likewise. And another guy named Greg, <laughs> who was also degraded in my eyes because of the exact same reason. He didn't that right? like this scene. Is that right? He was also unsatisfied by this movie, which means of the, th- the, two, the three of us, who I think we all know movies pretty well, I'm the only true defender of how special that this movie is. However, he starts having this hallucinogenic fever dream where all his paranoias and anxieties are coming into play. And it is in this dream while he is in his wife's bedroom in the dream and he is re he is both he is both in the present of his delusion as well as in the past reliving what he has done, which is the beating of his wife, that he comes to a conclusion about himself, the nature of love, the nature of male ego, the nature of his friends around him. Um, because at one point in the fever dream, Joan Whaley comes back into the movie and she is exposing his friends for what they truly are, which means he already knows this about them. So, because they're pressuring... Him to, yeah, it's all generated right, from his mind. Right, exactly. So they're pressuring him to kill this guy the entire time, but she starts pointing out their weaknesses, their flaws, and their arguments, and then their character, which means that he already knows this about them. So I, I think a lot of this is about male ego, peer pressure, anger, regret, loss, love, how to love there's selfish loving and unselfish loving um and i think it happens in that in that fever dream i think it's quite obvious in fact and it starts with shame steve and i were having a conversation about <laughs> shame uh earlier today unrelated to movies unrelated to movies and i say shame can be a very strong motivator in change and he is ashamed of what he did to his wife of the beating of her i agree he, he regrets yeah. it yeah i didn't see the shame Oh, I didn't see shame. the shame. Regret I think shame. he, I think he regretted it, and I think you could attribute it as much as a tactical thing that it, maybe he feels like he could have gotten her back if he hadn't beaten her so badly. You know, maybe, I'm, I'm, talks, not, I'm not, I'm not sold on the, this guy's reformation. He let talks me tell you. about the nature of love. He's explained mm-hmm. to this French waiter, if you're going to be with my wife, you need to really love her. That involves my favorite quote. Well, not my favorite quote, but a, but a pretty important Do quote. It. Okay, the, the the quote is this. He's talking to the. He's berating the so the, uh, the frog, French way. The frog, right? He is sure that well, you're just a young, 
handsome stud and you're with my wife and you think it's all going to be uh, rainbows and dreams. And he says, I bet she never farted in front of you, has she? Right. <laughs> has yeah. she? Yeah. And then he goes on this long diatribe, which is not a very original diatribe at all. I have seen this speech as far back as like Henry Fonda and 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 Lucille Ball in... in uh, uh, a family comedy. I've, I've actually seen this speech. I'm not as old as you, and I had not heard this speech. Uh, yours, mine, and ours. Well, basically, what it what it say, they did it more a little more briefly. But what he's saying is, uh, love, you know, isn't the dream pie, uh, you know, uh, on the beach, mm-hmm. Burt Lancaster and Deborah Curran from here to eternity. No, love is. Farting in some in front of somebody and it doesn't drive you crazy. Or farting is uh, uh, farting. Loving is you know fixing a leak right. um, in the plumbing and she doesn't even notice, but you do it anyway because you're doing you're doing it for her. This is very conventional. <laughs> this is extremely a conventional idea. I, I I liked it though, but I completely agree with it. It's not a not but a. But he's right original. because speaking. He's as a, right. He's speaking not, as a married person. Absolutely. I can't do grand gestures for my wife, and nor do I think she'd want me to. What she wants me to do is the little stuff. It's yes. the little stuff I don't want. You know, it, I think, it's the hardest thing to do consistently, right, and I that think, was that's his point. I I know people who maybe don't do the little things, even in friendships as often as they should do, like, be reliable, be consistent, right? I think mm-hmm. we all have good friends who are like, God, I wish that that guy was more reliable or consistent. But they tend to do big things. And the reason they do big things is so they don't have to do the little <laughs> To things. make up for the, uh, and I, and I the general all, neglect. And I would say, hey, man, like, I, I don't want you to, like, on my birthday set up this this big extravagant event. What I want you to do is to not be late. All the time when we make plans. Like, Take out the trash. Yeah. Ask me about yeah. my day. And my wife would say the same thing. <laughs> if I came home with a diamond once a year, it wouldn't matter to her. What she wants is me to cook dinner and take out the trash and fix the things that I'm not fixing because I'm lazy. Like, that's what she wants. Does this conclusion, do you think this conclusion plays into what he ultimately decides to do? I think the shame of what he did mm-hmm. plays into what he decides to do. Um, I just, Remember, he's on the fence. The reason yeah, he, Colin is on the fence about killing him is not some compassion no, for this French waiter at all. Back. He wants his yes. wife back. He and he's sure if he kills the waiter, she'll never speak to and him. He, and he wants to kill this guy. Yes. He wants to kill him bad. Yes. I mean, they want to skin him alive. They uh. want to torture this guy. They don't want to just simply kill him. Uh. They want to torture him. Now, his friends, who probably have more screen time, not individually, but collectively have more screen time than Colin, they're not indifferent no, they but they're not to... deep in, you know, they, they really get at, you know, they're absolutely all for killing this guy, yeah. or at least some of them are. Yeah. It, it, it causes one of them go on to, to go on to an obscene rant where he uh, keeps uh, repeating himself yeah. about the kind of person this guy is. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's get into some questions here. Okay. Okay. Steve, um, my first question was going to be... Uh, why I'm an idiot? Why you're an idiot. That's right, exactly. <laughs> For not liking this movie. Yeah, it's really, it was going to be... Well, why, I was once, like, I was you, once kicked like, in the head. Do and... you not like having fun? <laughs> Are you, like, against fun? Because this is a fun movie. You, you know, um, let's not mislead the audience entirely. No, there are There are instances that are, are horrifying. Uh, the, you know, the beating... But this movie is fun. horrifying. They're inflicting a, they're inflicting terror on this waiter. By the way, you never see you almost 
Well, he's in a, they keep him in a closet. For and half he, the movie, he's right. in a closet. Then when they pull half. him out, yeah. then when they pull him out, his he's, head is covered. And I really thought they were going to go through this entire movie without us ever seeing yeah. him. But at the very, I guess, the last half hour, yeah, we actually see you know, his face. And then they have beaten him badly prior to all this. They have yes. beaten him very badly. All right, so I don't understand how you can not have fun watching this movie. This movie is so much fun. Don't get me wrong. I, I recommend this movie. Okay. It is interesting. But don't be surprised if you come out, because you can't really... Unlike Diner, you can connect easily with the, the people of Diner, you know, BSing around kind of kind of insignificant things. You can't... There's no way to connect with these people and their experiences and how they just cavalierly talk about some of the crazy incidences in their life, given their, their line of work, which we assume. Uh, it's hard to connect to them, so you're not going to come away liking these characters mm-hmm. except maybe except maybe meredith it's kind of hard not to like meredith but. i liked all of them i think the movie's a delight and furthermore your un, your dissatisfaction essentially relates to there isn't a giant plot point no 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 occurs. see th- this is what i think you get wrong about me yeah you love plot i no no man a gun, plot a isn't briefcase. everything plot is not everything mm-hmm. i totally agree but the development of behavior i guess is a sort of a plot you know, but I think they um, have that in the movie. I was so I didn't see that. that. That's why I had to go had to see it twice. I had to find out where this guy has a, a decides what he's going to do. This is like the difference between going to a fancy French restaurant and having a delicious, moderately sized plate, <laughs> or going to the Cracker Barrel on All You Can Eat Night. I mean, this movie. In my defense, yeah. I do admire movies that are. I have admired many movies that are plotless. See, I I, ha- I admire yeah. Nashville. Because yeah. it's nothing but pure character, not even character development. I, actually, I love Nashville. I actually don't love Nashville because I like movies that stay on characters. What I hate are contrived plot points. I think that the majority. I'm not of, asking for a contrived plot I point. The, I want a satisfying. Right. I think the I want a satisfying development. I think the structure of most movies to this day uh-huh. is this. He was an ordinary man until one day he had an extraordinary day. It's literally like. He was just a dad until they kidnapped his wife. I'm not asking for that. I think you've got that wrong. You do me a disservice, sir. Uh, pistols <laughs> at dawn, man. <laughs> no, I. By the way, you just introduced a major plot point. You see, you couldn't just have an intelligent conversation. You had to take it to pistols at dawn. Your mind went to we had to. Have some, I must have melodrama. We couldn't just have a normal, you know, disagreement. You couldn't just we couldn't talk realistically. For you, it was like we had to had to come. And then they dueled. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. You I a, think you're straining. Uh, are you there a John a Cassavetes fan? Am I a John Cassavetes fan? I haven't seen enough to say. This is like a personally for me a much better version. Although God, my friend Greg is going to kill me when I say <laughs> this. A much better version of a John Cassavetes movie. Uh, it's not. I, I, I the reason I say that is I was watching a woman under the influence, which I and just it was saw so, recently for the first time. It was so. Painfully open and obvious. I stopped watching it. So I not because I was bored, yeah. because I, I just I have a problem. And I should finish. I need to. Fi- I have finish a problem it. with excessive naturalism. I like. I don't want people to always talk like people. I kind of want people to talk like movie people. I think it depends on the movie. Sometimes. I li- some of this dialogue. I was rolling. I loved. Yeah. I loved the irascible old man Peanut right, by so, John Hurt. He, yeah. he is a one note character. Yeah, absolutely. But he does that perfectly. The F word comes out. I, I don't know. Are we are we doing the F word? Yeah, we can um, say the F word. Okay. Yeah, he's because uh, 
I, I know that uh, you know we mm-hmm. don't get this podcast uh, yeah. uh, blacklist, but um, you know he, he every word out of his m- mouth is either fuck or cunt. That's right. And by the way, I th- apparently in in England. Um, they've gotten confused about uh, <laughs> about the c word because it's only applied to men in yeah. this movie and in the gentleman. Yeah. It's only applied to men, which is probably the safer way to do it. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. Um, in fact, there's a uh, this this will tie into my next question because you mentioned the word cunt, in which is repeated often in this film. Um, Steve, what's the best extended mo? What's the best sequence in this movie? This movie is comprised of different sequences of dialogue that are rhythmic and repetitive in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like bits almost. They're like, this movie has like, like lots of different dialogue bits. This stuff could only almost be like a little, not, not skits, little bits of stand-up comedy. Almost like Absolutely. Abbott and Costello, almost like two main acts, like Abbott and Costello, uh-huh. like who's on first. There's a lot of who's on first style dialogue sequences in this movie, and I'm asking you, which one was your favorite? Well, I do like when Meredith baits um, um, old man Peanut, hmm. uh, you know, uh, because he's totally disgusted by homosexuality, and yeah. Meredith actually uh, really gets a kick out of of, of, of a weaseling it. I wouldn't say it. that was an extended I, I was... sequence, although like, there's one extended sequence where they're calling the fro- the French uh, the frog a fuck. And like, you fucked his wife, you fucking That's fuck. what I was talking about earlier yeah. when I said he just kept repeating the same thing. Yeah. You're, 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 you're a, uh, you're a, you're a wife. wife fucker, you wife fucker. Yeah. How does it feel about fuck? Why don't you get your own wife to fuck? Yeah. You, know? you fucked his wife. That was Collins Diamond's wife. And you fucked her, you fucking wife fucker, you. <laughs> that was, you yes, um, that's pure comedy. That's pure yeah. comedy. Uh, but uh, there's a lot our apologies to all the friendly folks yeah. in Wisconsin who are listening. Yeah. I just apologize. But there's, but there's more sequences than that. So first, I'll give you my favorite. Uh, John Hurt gets a wonderful uh, monologue in this movie where he is blaming all of Colin Diamond's troubles on his wife. You know, he's an old man, he's sexist, he's prejudiced, and he's basically giving this long extended diatribe about Samson and Delilah and how essentially all the troubles that men have in this world are derived from women. And in fact, they cut back to the old Samson and Delilah movie. With and, John Agar yeah. and uh, I forget and who And it's the, a fantastic the, the monologue. And he's like, you see, like she cut off his hair, but the hair was the source of his strength, you see. He's narrating it in his own vernacular, yeah, which is hilarious. Yeah. And right. then he ends it with, he goes, and you see... He goes, he goes, and he brings down the walls of the Philistines upon their heads. And he goes, and you see why all this happened? Why? He goes, it was all because, it was all because of a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Interestingly, somebody points out to him, yeah, but he winds up killing himself too. And then he just dismisses that objection by saying, eh, he didn't care at that point anyway. He didn't give a fuck anyway. (laughs) This is how, it's funny because, you know, oh, Pe- oh man, Peanut will do anything. Yeah. He doesn't care about consequence. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. You've got to do. It's funny because in a way he's he hates um, you know uh, Colin's wife. Yeah. I think partly out of a, a pure allegiance, but yeah. he doesn't have pure allegiance because he ha- shows n- nothing but contempt yeah. when he finds out that Colin is thinking about not killing this French French right. waiter. He can't believe it. Okay, next question. Um, do you think that? Colin was always do you think that Mal really wanted to have an affair with Colin's wife because it is implied in the movie that Mal the Stephen Delane character I think it was implied that he did that he actually had an affair with her yeah and then in fact I wasn't 100% sure that they got the right guy 
interesting. Um, and here's well, what. So here's what's interesting. Mal wants to kill the French waiter more than anyone. More than anyone. And I thought they were trying to imply that with this guy dead, he won't find out that I was the one who was having sex with his wife. But the problem is, you don't know. I forget which scene that revelation occurs. It's in the fever dream. It's in the fever dream. So what, what you're Colin doing is, yeah, it's not yeah. really what um, Mal did, but it's what Colin thinks about Mal. Right. So what I took was that Colin knows that Mal is lusting after his wife. I don't know if mm-hmm. they've actually had an affair. In fact, I don't think they have. But he might suspect that. He, he might, might suspect, suspect it. it, but he's definitely lusting after his wife because Mal is so eager to kill this guy as to cover his own tracks, hmm. his own lust. He's like, he's like, I really want to kill this guy for, <laughs> for, for having sex with your wife because he wants to have sex with his wife. Outside of the fever dream, yeah. I didn't get that. He, Mal just no. seems to want to do it because it's a dull, it it's only, a slow Saturday yeah, night. It only makes sense <laughs> in the fever dream, but you put it together like, oh, now I see why this guy is so desperate to kill this other guy with whom he has no seemingly, no seeming real cause to want to kill him other than he... Mm had sex with his friend's wife. Okay, next question. What do you think these guys do for a living? I say casino business. I say um, small-time racketeering, something along the Tony Soprano lines. Okay, last question. Who, who has the best part in the movie? Who steals the movie? There's a lot of movie stealing here. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to ta- take the obvious. I mean, I love how, uh, how, how good Ian McShane is in as Meredith. Yeah. But every time uh, John Hurt opens his mouth as old man Peanut, <laughs> it's hilarious. I think it's a competition between John Hurt and Ian McShane, but I mm-hmm. give it to Ian McShane because mm-hmm. I think he's there's more behind it, and you really want to know what it is. He's so cool and calm, and you really want to know what's going on with this guy all the time. You know what both of them do, though? What? They don't do what a lot of actors would do, and they... they 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 don't get too show offy. No, they're you English. Know? They're English. Well, no, no, no. I, I, They've been know. trained at the Royal <laughs> British Academy. They understand that less is more. Yeah. As John Hurt is a very. It's funny. You you get the impression, although he's far older than anybody else. Yeah. He seemed to has have the most energy. Yeah. yeah. He and but he doesn't. You, you wouldn't know it except how he talks. Yeah. Right. You know he has an economy of movement, but man, this guy's ferocious. Yeah. Okay, uh, so you basically already gave your best line, right? Yeah. My, I have two best lines, and they're, and the, <laughs> they're a tie. They're all because of a woman, and it's really just a speech. I'm saying the best line is that whole speech. And then the other is, you're all right, which is another speech given by uh, Ian McShane, in which mm-hmm. he tells, we already went over this, but when he's telling he uh, Colin Diamond, uh, Colin. he's just telling him, you're all right, <laughs> in two dozen different ways, only by saying, you're all right. He goes, you're all right, all right, you're all right, mate, you are all right, all right. <laughs> Listen to me. You are all right. It's so good. And the look on Colin's face is of a, a small child who has been, um, you know, quieted. <laughs> all right, let's do um, let's do bad movie pitches. Steve, what's yours? Oh man, I forgot to do a bad bad movie. Oh, pitch. Okay. I didn't even think of it. Not even for Locke either. Because you. Not even for Locke? I didn't even do it for Locke. Why, right. did, why didn't I do it? Uh, that, I'm okay. 59. Just give me a break. Yeah. All right, I'll give you mine. Mine was um, Death of a Salesman uh-huh. meets The Long Good Friday. Or The Long Friday. Excuse me, The Long Friday with, uh, with what's his name from Who Framed Roger Rabbit? No, it's Long Good Friday. It is Long Good Friday. Yeah, right? Okay, Good and The Long Good yeah. Friday. That was, that was my bad <laughs> movie. It's, it's the idea of the male ego. Uh-huh. And I don't know why the two characters, they just kind of reminded me of each other. I, okay, I just come up with a bad movie pitch. It's not right. easy because I've already said yeah. both of them. I think it's Diner uh, meets The Sopranos. Yeah, in some ways that's, that's fair. I, yeah, because The Sopranos was, 
This is all right. That's a good point I wanted to bring up earlier. In fact, I was gonna say it. The worst Sopranos fans were the only were the ones who only cared who got whacked at the end of the series. You know, while the Sopranos was on, the big thing was who's gonna get whacked at the end of the series. But that was never what the show was about. The show was about personal revelation. And how people never follow up on it, in fact. How personal revelations are gone to <laughs> the And how wind. useless they are. <laughs> yeah, how useless they are. You have them, and then you forget about them. All right, well, let me ask you this. Do yeah. you think that um, the personal revelation that, uh, that Colin has is going to affect him in the future? No, but it will stick for the moment, and that's what's important. <laughs> like, in his decision he has to uh-huh. make, it'll stick. Uh-huh. All, right. So, all right, so anything else to say on this movie? Uh, no, no, except I enjoyed it. And I recommend it. You were supposed to I was to disappointed. Love it. I was disappointed. You were in supposed it. to love it and adore it and <laughs> cherish it like I do. So it's a failure on your part. A personal failure. Clearly. And a moral failure. Yeah, <laughs> something wrong with my character, I think. That's right. I think yeah, there's yeah. something wrong with your character. <laughs> okay. The next movie, our next bottle movie on this list is a fantastic I I man, I was really I'm really excited for this episode because I love these two movies. And the next movie, which you already gave away, is Locke. I have made my decision. It's a brilliant performance from Tom Hardy. You make one little mistake. It's one of the most nail-biting British thrillers of the year. The whole world comes crashing down. A masterclass. I was 23 years old. Gripping. This is a joke to you. Groundbreaking. Exceptional. What happened? Captivating. Cracks appear. Lock. In cinemas April 18th. Before I get into uh, what Block is about, why don't you why don't you give us the stats? Give him the stats. Give him the stats. Um, it was uh, released in April eighteenth uh, of twenty fourteen. It runs eighty five minutes, a, a quick uh, eighty five minutes, and yep. you'll see why. It was written and directed by uh, Stephen Knight, who created Peaky Blinders, a TV show. He it was on. involved in Peaky Blinders. Um, he also wrote uh, Dirty Pretty Things, which yeah, is a good movie. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it was a well-directed movie. He also uh, contributed to the, to the screen uh, screenplay of Eastern Promises. However... A good movie. He followed this movie up, I don't know if it was immediate, with it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. What's that? <laughs> Serenity. Not the good Serenity. Oh, he made that he one? He made that piece of garbage with Anne Hathaway and Matthew I McConaughey. I can't watch that, though. You watch these movies that everybody says are bad, and you're like, that movie's really bad. Like, what if they're wrong? <laughs> you know, they, they could be out of their minds. That's I don't know. true. Nobody saw 44-inch chest. That's, yep, yep, yep. Nobody, nobody. Yep. Are there any other stats here? Oh, yeah, uh, it cost $2 million, and it made $5 million, and that's, that's not too bad, considering... No. I'm surprised it costs as much as $2 million. I know. <laughs> well, from what I understand, if IMDb uh, trivia can be believed, and I think it can, um, he shot his, uh, the star, yep. Tom Hardy, uh, shot his his uh, whole role in six days, but he so all right so oh I, 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 all right, keep going. in addition they have a lot of famous uh, accomplished uh, actors some who weren't weren't as famous back then yeah. they're all in more famous voice. now yeah. yes in yeah. with voice acting Olivia Coleman. Mm-hmm. uh plays a Bev or somebody like that um, Beth Bethan Bethan right. Yeah. And uh, Ruth Wilson, who I have caught in many, many things, she's including in The, the Little Stranger or something. She's in The Affair. The that's, TV series The that's Affair. That's what she's yeah. most famous for. And Andrew Scott. Who is who, now most famous for playing what has been dubbed as Hot Priest from Hot Fleabag. Hot Priest from Fleabag. He was yes. also uh, Dr. Moriarty. Well, he played the Moriarty character in Sherlock. 
And he also he was and he's great in that. And he also stole yeah, he the is. movie 1914. Is it called 1914? Uh, 1917. 1917. Yeah. He stole that movie. He yeah. He's he's incredible. He's an acid cynic. Yeah. In, in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. He's good. All right. So now, so we can actually give some context to why these people are in voices. Here's what this movie's about. There is a man. His name is Ivan Locke. He is. The movie starts out. He is leaving a cement site, a place where they mix cement and send it off to be sold and put in buildings, I guess, right? And he's getting in his car. And what you find out in the movie is he is on the most consequential drive of his life. Uh, he is going to the to um, witness the birth of his child by a woman who is not his wife. And at the same time, while he is going to the birth of this child from this woman who is not his wife, he is also having to... Um, micromanage from afar the most important and largest cement mix in European history. And what that means is he works for, I guess, a site that makes cement and ships it off. And they are going to basically ship off more cement than any, than any site has ever done. And outside of a nuclear power outside plant of a or nuclear military. Power plant. Yeah. The reason he's doing it on this night is that this baby is born, being born prematurely. Not only that, on this night, he is fully accepting that his whole life is about to go up in flames. He is accepting about it and calm about it because he has now got to tell his wife, who he has not told, that another woman is carrying his child. And at the same time, and I think what is a more unexpected twist in his life, he is also going to lose his job because he is the supervisor of this cement place cement factory i don't know a cement mixing site he's the supervisor and he's not going to be there on the most important day of this this business's history so he's going to lose his job and his family all in one night and the reason he's going to do all of this is because he is deemed that the moral thing to do is to be there for the birth of this child because his father left him his father was not present in his life. He was a bastard, and he does not want there to be a bastard of his out there who doesn't know his father. So he has decided that he owes his unborn child, his child who is being born, more in the world than he owes himself or his wife or his other two children. That it is more important that this unborn baby not be born without a father than it is that he shirk his responsibility or not tell anyone and keep it secret and live his life. Um, this movie, you watch a moral man act morally, even though he has done an immoral thing. It is really fascinating to watch. It's expertly performed, and the entire movie, he is on the phone. He's on the phone with, what's the one actor's name? Andrew... Andrew Hopkins. Scott. Andrew Scott. Yeah. Andrew Scott is one of the lower-level employees at the cement mixing factory who he is trying to walk through all the steps that he would normally be doing himself. At the same time, he's telling his wife, look, I'm not going to be home tonight because this other woman is having my child. He had an affair one time with what he described as an older, lonely woman when he was away on business. She was given to him as a secretary, and they had a one-night affair, and he got her pregnant. And he is also talking to this woman who is emotionally damaged, the woman having his child. She is in labor, and he is trying to get there as fast as he can. And in fact, a bit of trivia, the way they filmed this movie was Tom Hardy would literally drive the entire sequence and I believe talk to these people on the phone. I think this stuff was filmed in real time. 
um, he was really talking on the phone to these people. It wasn't added in later. The actors would call him and the lines and everything will be recorded as if it were a play, which I think is really cool and super fascinating. And Tom, I think you'd almost have to. I think you'd, yeah, you'd, you'd yeah. almost have to. And Tom yeah. Hardy. I mean, you want, look, I think Tom Hardy's a star. I think he's one of the best actors in the world. I am waiting for him to have that one role where he's not choosing an offbeat project, even though I love his movies. I love Bronson. I love, I, I love Locke. I love uh, Mad Max, but they're all offbeat projects. I'm waiting for that one sort of Oscar bait role, I guess you could call it. Cause I want to see, I want to see him do it. Cause I think he has it in him. And this is his most grounded, um, normal moving role. I think of all of his roles, cause he tends to be a flamboyant big actor. And this is his smallest part. This role convinced me that Tom Hardy can practically do anything. That's right. Because he's been in big action movies. Yeah. He's played bad guys in, in uh, The Revenant. Uh, the Revenant. Mm-hmm. His only um, Oscar nomination, by the way. Yeah, which... Yeah. He's uh, good in that. If more people had seen this, I'm sure he would have gotten an Oscar nomination. He, he might have yeah. even won. I don't know what was up yeah. in 2014, but he, he's so good in this movie. It's so rare where you got a serious movie about a good a man trying to be good. Yeah. You have dumb movies about men trying to be good, yeah. and they're usually focused on um, you know big events like this. Yeah. Only they're they're usually um, they're usually uh, poised uh, in grandiose terms, in very melodramatic yeah. terms. Right. They strip away mm-hmm. all of this, and yeah. you get basically just words. Yeah, you so, know his part. You could almost say that his part. It wouldn't have been as effective if, if, if this was a radio play, but this would have worked fine as a radio play. It would have been the world's best radio play. And in fact, you know, they're able to film this thing in a car and make it entertaining, which is really yes. hard. They get enough shots out of that vehicle that is actually on the road. This is not fake driving. They are really on a road, so they're very limited in, in how they can shoot this thing, and it works. When I watched this movie for the second time, here's what I came away thinking. This was my prevailing thought. Here is a man who what he is doing is more honorable than what he did was dishonorable. Does that make sense? Uh, it absolutely makes sense, and you're, I think you're 100% right. He is knowingly torpedoing his entire life so that he doesn't do wrong by an innocent unborn child. Yeah. To me, that sacrifice he makes for the unborn child is more honorable than the fact he very stupidly had a one-night affair once in his life. And you and by everybody keeps saying this is not him. Everyone in the movie is like, you are a good man. Like, you know, this is not you. And you see he is still himself by doing this thing, by going, he is going to wreck his entire life. Also, there isn't a child out there in the world who feels unwanted. You know mm. I mean? That is really, I'm sorry, but people cheat on their wives. And that's not great. People make mistakes. He made a mistake. But what he is doing, not to make penance for the mistake, he's, it's not a way of asking forgiveness, but he's saying, I've already made one mistake. I'm not going to make an even larger mistake by having a child out there in the world who pays for my mistake by not having a father. He says he's going to give this child his name. This child will not be a bastard. And it's you know, Tom Hardy is an actor, I think, who does inner rage really well, and he's got it in this movie because some of the best parts in this movie is 
he's having a conversation with his dead father who abandoned him, who's in the back seat, who you don't actually see, but he keeps looking in the rear view mirror and talking to his dead father and saying things like, old man, if I could dig you up now and, you know, spit in your face and then show you what a real man does, I would do it. Oh yes, I would do it. I mean, he talks to his father unlike he talks to anybody right. else. Everybody else, with, with a couple of lapses, they want to make yeah. him human, uh, he treats with composure yeah. and grace and yeah. decency. Yeah. Uh, his father, he has acid hatred for. That's right. You know? Yeah. Uh, I like this movie. Uh, I, I love this movie. I love it too. Because um, another, uh, put in different hands, his his nobleness would be turned into like uh uh you know Superman. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be a Clark Kent, uh, Superman uh, kind of character. It's important that they have because uh, I, th- I think this movie opens itself up to that kind of criticism. Except you know that it's grounded partly in this deep resentment for his father. Yeah. It's right. it's not a hundred percent doing the right thing. Although he understands that. Yeah. But Part he of knows. It's revenge. Part of it's revenge. It's absolutely revenge. He's showing his dead father that he can do what he didn't. He's yeah. showing his dead father he's still the better man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I think I think a lot of his life he's been trying to show his dead father he's the better man by being an upstanding family man and employee, you know, and citizen. But he makes this mistake and is, and he knows if he if he shirks his responsibilities towards his unborn child, then he will be his father. You know, it caught me a little cold. It made my uh, blood uh, run a little cold when he said, I'm going to fix this fuck up. He's talking yeah. about his yeah. soon-to-be-born That's son right. or daughter, That's right? right. Yeah. And that, that that turned me a little cold, but that makes him all the more human. That's right. This is, this is an intense quest. all of this. He's not happy oh, to be yeah. having a child. But mm. you get the sense that even though it's his fuck up, he's going to raise that kid with love. I do get that sense. That he's not just going to be there, say, I was... Like, nobody torpedoes their whole life like that for a child who then they're going to abandon right afterwards. Right. Like, he's going to be in this child's life. He's going to be this child's father. But that doesn't mean he's happy about it. Now, I would like to defend myself from a charge you made in the last segment, and that is that (laughs) I am all about plot. This movie has almost no plot. Yeah. Now, it, it would be if he was, you know... Is he going to break? Is he going to turn around? There's never a sense where you feel like he's going to turn this. Uh, he's going to turn around and mm-hmm. change his mind and go back to his wife and, and be there for the cement. Not dick. ever. This man. This is a kind of re- a believable resolution mm-hmm. in a character that I can't remember and, seeing and very this often. This movie now, breaks one of the cardinal rules of screenwriting, which is the character does not change. He doesn't change. No. And, you know, even in, in uh, you might the audience might yeah. be waiting for to, to see him be yeah. tempted yeah. into into turning yeah. around. But this guy is so resolute. He has gone it's in remarkable. this car knowing that in ninety minutes his whole life is going to be wrecked, and he's completely at peace with it. He so anticipates he anticipates the reaction. Mm-hmm. It, everybody is surprised at what he has done. Yeah. Okay? His boss can't believe it. Chicago's right. going to be furious. Chicago yeah. apparently is invested in this yeah. in this project. Uh, a, a huge, gigantic uh, uh, corporation. Yeah. And they're almost, they come this close to suggesting you're going to wind up with cement shoes at the bottom of a river because Chicago isn't too happy. A yeah. hundred million dollars is at stake. He is not going to, 
he's not going to be there. But he's also not going to let this sink. You said that he was on the way to the birth of his child. He's yeah. leaving the birth of another child. Yeah. In fact, let's talk about it. Um, he has been fired from the job yeah. as soon as he says he's not going to be there. He says, "I'm." They say you are fired, dude. And he says that is okay. I'm still going to make sure this goes well. And they're like, "No, you're not listening. You're fired. Like you can't get your job back." And he goes, "And I understand that." But I'm still going to make sure it goes well. He goes, because I owe the building. I owe the cement. He's got this deep, almost religious-like reverence for the cement and where it's going. By the way, I had no idea cement was so complicated and they could be so easily screwed up. They mention, I think, a C5 and a C6 and the difference between it. And that leads to one of my favorite quotes, and there's a lot of them. There's a lot. Go for it. There is a terrific, uh, you make one mistake, Donald. Donald's the guy. Yeah. You know, when he's referring to the mistake, he's saying using the uh, maybe maybe the cement company brings in a cheaper uh, grade C five yeah. instead of C six. He says you make one mistake, uh, Donald, one little fucking mistake, and the whole world comes crashing down around you. Yeah. Obviously, he's not, yeah, obviously the movie's not talking about the building. It's somebody's talking about his. Yeah. Uh, his I actually thought that was in. one of the more on the nose moments. Something yeah. you said about how you know he's flawed, and one of the other flaws in this is that. He seems to be almost as concerned about the cement and the building it's going to be built with than he is at the same level as his wife leaving him. And at one point, basically, he asks his son to get him a phone number of a local council member who needs to close a road for these cement trucks to go through. And his wife catches the son doing this after Ivan has already admitted what he's done. And she says, you know, I found him looking for this number. Like, let me ask you a question. Like, do you still want this number? And he's like, yes. And she goes, okay, goodbye. She might, he might have lost her there. Yeah, that is where he tragically. lost her. That is where he lost her. Uh-huh. And part of this is because she, at one point she accuses him of having more love for the buildings than for her. And that might be true. That might be true. But, but notice, this uh, one, one of the things that shines through with him is he does have a sense of perspective. Yeah. He sees this building um, as, as a child. And I'm gonna I'm gonna blow my favorite. Uh, I got I gotta blow is it my stealing a bit of the sky. Stealing. He he convinces yeah. Donald you've got to stick with it. You've got to do this. And Donald asks him. I think he asks him why. And and he says you do it for the piece of sky we're stealing with our building. Do it for the air that will be displaced. This guy loves what he does, and you That's know right. it's killing him to lose this job. But he shows a sense of perspective, even yeah. though this is like his child being born too. Yeah. He knows which one to pick. And what's he funny picks is the right he's one. He's not building the building, but he considers it his building because it's his cement. It's his foundation. Yes. I mean, foundation in a lot of ways is really important in this movie. It's called a construction director. I think his title was construction director. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. They, okay, they mentioned I, I thought the he movie. was specifically about cement. I thought his he probably whole, is. Yeah, I thought because uh, he's whole, not with the with the engineering yeah, and yeah. with the, with the I think his whole job revolves around cement. I think he's basically yeah. a cement expert. Yeah. I don't think I he's think gonna, he is. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be there on site telling people what parts to hammer in nails to. Like, right. But it's really interesting because he's talking about the, he's saying the building's his because the foundation is his, mm-hmm. and a lot of this is about foundation. He's got one foundation that he thought he laid, which he's now about to ruin. Because he's going to go lay another foundation. I mean, this is what he does. He wants to be solid, like concrete. His life has a has a solid foundation until the affair with the. Uh, but but the, the point is, he, it's his desire to be solid. I mean, there's no yeah. surprise here that concrete is the character's job. <laughs> he's saying he's all about solidity. Which is that a word? Solidity. I think so. He's all about solidity. Sorry if it's not a word. Sounds good though. Um, which his father was not. And even if he has. To, He's already laid the foundations for one family he's about to leave. 
because he's got to go. He can't. He can't stomach the idea of him laying a weak foundation somewhere else, which would be his child who he doesn't know. You know what I mean? He's not mm. going to have a child out there, a bastard who he doesn't know, because that would be a poor foundation. Yeah. And this guy's all about solid cement. <laughs> you know, that building is his. It's his foundation. Don't get us wrong. Uh, this isn't club you over the head with symbolism. No, okay, I think this, I think yeah. obviously there is some element of symbolism, but it was, it was important to show how committed he was to his job. His job is not a symbol. His job yeah. is a huge part of his life. Right. Okay, so you're not going to be scared off by you know heavy-handed symbolism. Uh, I, I think it, it it completely works. Steve, what do you th- do? You think this guy is going to get his wife back? You know what? I think that's one of my questions to you. Yeah, because just... you so desperately want to. The man you see yeah. for ninety minutes deserves to have his wife. That's back. That's right. I am on this man's side. Yes. Oh, I, absolutely. I, could absolutely. this movie be made now? Or would he be savage? Would people not understand? Would would his infidelity? Do you think the, the I, I do you think the moral crusaders of today <laughs> could allow this man to be the hero to be the the protagonist of the movie? Or would they say what he did is so terrible that how could we even judge this man positively? I think only the most morally dogmatic would would yeah. would object to it. You know, yeah. a, a thinking, breathing person. Yeah. Could feel enormous, can, cannot help but feel enormous empathy okay, for so this guy. Do you think he'll get his wife back? I don't think so. I think it has to be no. Yeah. The whole point is that he's not getting, the whole point is that he is legitimately sacrificing everything. He's sacrificing it all. If they hinted that he was going to get it his wife work. back, it would diminish. I, 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 yeah. I don't think it would have made it a completely useless movie, but it would have diminished the impact so much. And it would be right. it diminish his action. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? And, or if he got his job back. Or yeah. say, okay, you know, things are turning out well. You, 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 you spent the whole night right. with us. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it tomorrow morning, and maybe we'll come up to a different conclusion. That would have so lessened the impact. This movie has an integrity it doesn't violate. So his wife decides to leave him, and part of the reason she decides to leave him, uh, beyond the obvious fact, is she says she was talking to her sister, and her sister brings up the point that, you know, Ivan constantly says, I've only ever done this once. This is the only time I ever did this. And his sister says... Um, the difference between once and never is everything. Yeah. Do you agree with that? No. Neither do I. No. That that um. In fact, if anything, it softens the blow for me of his losing his wife. If she is such a uh, a bitter regimented person. Well, I think that's unfair. You know? She's just discovered her husband is having another. No, child. I understand. I understand. If this was real life, yeah, I'd cut her some slack. Yeah. But remember, this movie wants you. You know, this movie is essentially implying conclusions here. Now here's, it's implying that she will not. She right. she will be as resolute as he is. Yeah. And I think that's a moral failing with the wife. But here's the issue. I think about my own life. What if my wife had an affair just once and she got pregnant and she got pregnant, right? Uh-huh. And the, and she was like, look, I'm having this baby. You'd raise it as your own, right? No, let's <laughs> say she said the man is going to raise his own child. Uh-huh. It won't be my child. It'll be his and they'll uh-huh. split custody. And sometimes this kid will be with me and you'll I'll basically be a stepfather. That would be really hard. I think, I think the man gets a little bit more slack because he's not the mother. Do you see what I'm saying? Hmm. We're, we're, we're expecting her we're saying that you just said it's a moral failure on his on her part, but I think if it was the reverse, man, it would be hard to watch your wife be pregnant for nine months with another man's child and to say, well, she just made one mistake. 
You know? Like that <laughs> That's be... that is you're right, that's a good point. In fact, she wouldn't be able to hide it like he did. Exactly. And it's... that's a moral failing of his is that he hid it for so long. Yeah, that's you know? true. Well he was uh, he was clearly dreading it. He knew yes. he was gonna do it, but he was still putting it off. He had like a pretty probably, good idea of what it would do. Probably just to get more time. Mm. Okay, I mean, you know what? Maybe I was being a little self righteous about yeah, the wife. I think so. I but I it did it did turn me cold when um she was so adamant that you know they're never going to get back together. You will never un- enter this house again. So last question. Sorry, I know I'm. Oh, by the way, on. his son is played by Tom Holland, who became Spider Man. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Last question. I know I'm stepping on your toes here, but what if he had just admitted to having an affair and there was no child? Do you think she would be just as resolute in leaving him? No. Okay. That, and then in a way, that's it's, it's a, a sort of a point, a, a sub point of the movie is. He not only is he going to make sure is he is did he had a he had an affair he had to has to admit to an affair he's going to carve out part of his life yeah. dedicated to the happiness of this child right and that's got to hurt her yeah so which makes me feel more like a self righteous asshole so, earlier so, so. <laughs> the point being this if my wife had an affair once and told me I would absolutely forgive her no question. But if, if she was have pregnant, yeah. it would be so much harder yeah. for some reason, even though the mistake is still the mistake. But it's this thing. Imagine that kid comes. Let's say she stays with them, and then his other child comes to stay with them every weekend, right? Uh-huh. That is the constant reminder to her. How could she ever get past something when there is a constant reminder of it? People generally want to get past something, and you can never get past that. It yeah. will always be in your face. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny, too, because... He clearly does not love this woman. Yeah. No, not at all. And in fact, she says to him, she's like, I love you. And he goes, don't say that. You don't know me. Let me, let me get into my questions yeah, here please. because it does uh, talk about that. This is one, this, this, more, this is a what if kind of movie. Yeah. What if it's happened to you? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the questions are kind of based around this. Um, let me advance something that I think we both know, but I, I'm just going to throw it out there. Okay. Uh, did he do wrong... By doing what he did. <laughs> by having an affair? No, or? by choosing oh, no, this he did, he did over the, right thing. the dig. Now, uh, the reason yeah. I say this is they make sure that, that you know $100 million could be devastating to the local economy. It could ruin people's lives. It could d- literally destroy people's lives. Um, why not, come, you're not, ne- supposed why to... not come two days later? <laughs> why not see that kid one day later? He's going to be just as born. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's going to be... I, first of all, I don't think you have a movie if you do that. <laughs> well, that's true, too. And second of but, all, I think part of it for him is the symbolism is so important yeah. that he will not run away from this. He yeah. will not do it. And even just to do that is to run away from it. That was a sub-question. Um, on, a level, on, a, any, on a certain level, is he being a schmuck? <laughs> um, yes. I think this character in some ways is a schmuck, but that's part of why Is he he's- selling himself on a... Um, He's selling himself a higher moral plane than is necessary. I think the most important thing... All right, there's two things at work here. First is, I'm going to be a father. And no matter what, he's going to lose his family. All right? The second thing is this... Well, it's going to damage his family. We hope... Right. Uh, she can't stop him from seeing she, his kids. She did, well, she, she but could it's essentially. She could actually. Infidelity is a uh-huh. big time... You lose in court if you've had infidelity. You lose in court. I would say that... Um, it's it's not a matter of he'll never see his. Yeah, she says kid they'll again, have split but... custody. She literally says it to him on the phone. Yeah. Here's what I'm gonna say: is if it was simply about being a father to his child, then he's being a schmuck, right? He should just come a day after the dig, right? 
Although I will say is he would be once again saying something is more important than this child. And the right now what he is saying is that this child is the most important thing, period, done, right? Yeah. So to to come two days later would be negating what he is saying. He's going to lose everything for the sake of this child, right? Yeah. That is what he has worked that up in his mind. However, I do agree he could come a day later. And uh, part of the reason he's going there is because of this woman. He describes her as sad and alone. And he's partly doing it for her because he is the one who has impregnated her. And he is not going to let her be sad and be alone having this baby. He's going to be there for her, yeah. not because he loves her, or even has affection towards her, but because he it's the right thing to do. What portion do you think, what percentage is not so much... Um, you know, being there for his his for his son, so that he can say twenty years from now, I was there. Yeah. I risked everything. Um, I lost so everything. He, he didn't yeah. risk it. I'm, I'm sorry. Lost I, it. True, he he lost everything. What percentage is being decent to this woman who he, who who would not be in this situation if it wasn't for him? Now that kind of relates to the last question yeah. I was going to ask: is he won't tell Bethan he loves her? He doesn't. She love her. asks her. She desperately wants. Her, he, she, she desperately wants him to say, I love yeah. you. In fact, she says, can't you just say it? Yeah. He doesn't because he knows it isn't true. That's right. And, but she desperately wants him to hear it. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't, would it be a decent thing for him to lie? No, no. And he doesn't owe it to her. He is already losing everything to mm. do right by her and the child. He does not owe her anymore. He doesn't owe her deceit. No, he doesn't okay. owe her any more than what he's already giving. Right. right, she is just as much to blame for sleeping with a married man as he is for sleeping with her. She has culpability in this. She knew he was married, okay, mm-hmm. and he is going to not only lose his family by acknowledging the child, he's going to lose his job by being there for her during the birth. Mm-hmm. He owes her no more than that. You know, um, it's a good thing you said that because um, it would be patronizing um, to her. Otherwise, yeah. like she's so weak, she's just a feeble, um, a, yeah. a feeble woman. And had you report, had you said any, have you made any other response? I would have had to report you to me too. Not only that, <laughs> not only that, but check this out. If he says it, he's making another huge mistake. Yes, almost huge, on par with uh, huge almost on par with he the is now going, pregnancy. If you were to be like, "I love you," then you know they're going to be together now. They're going to mm. have a relationship. For the mm-hmm. child, and he's not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Not once do I think he's going to be with this woman. Mm-hmm. He's going to help raise this child, but he's not going to be with this woman. And if he were to do that, it would be a huge mistake because he doesn't love this woman, and you should never be with someone simply for the sake of a child. That is the foundation of an unhappy home and an unhappy child. Yeah, uh, it, it it would be yeah it would be ultimately yeah. cruel to her too. This child when will, she finds out it's, it's this not child true. will never feel the loss of divorce. There is no reason to introduce that. This yeah. child's whole life will be saying, no, my mom lives here. My dad lives there. It will never have missed a time when they were all together. Yeah. You know what I mean? So no, he, sh- he absolutely, for many reasons, should not tell her that, nor does he owe it to her to tell her, nor is it even a kindness. Yes. He's doing them all a big favor. Okay. I already We already discussed, will he get his wife back? That's actually one of my it questions to, I wrote it to him. It has to be a no. It has, it has to, to be. No. To yeah. make the impact of what he's doing. Well, let's say... This is like bad. not right away. <laughs> if if you desperately need a happy ending, Can't. let's say uh, not right away. <laughs> the happy ending is he's going to live in a condo. He's going to find another job. He's going to find. You get the sense, and this is halfway between because yeah. uh, she, I think she lives in London, and yeah. and the and the dig this, is somewhere else. You get the sense he's so brilliant, mm-hmm. and even though it's going to come out what he did, he's going to say, "Look, here's what he's going to tell the truth." 
in any job interview, he is going to tell the truth because mm. that's who he is. He's going to say, I made a huge mistake one day. I had an affair with a woman just once. She got pregnant with my child. That child was going to be born on the day of this dig. My father was not there for the day of my birth. He wasn't even there for my life. And I decided not only to lose everything to be there for that child, but after they fired me, I made sure that everything still went ahead okay. Yeah. He didn't have to yeah. do that. No. And, and even though they make the, the, the sense that he's doing it purely for the building in the sky, it will help him in future job interviews when he said, after they fired me, I still did it. So the point That's is, kind of like a posterity ego thing. Yeah. In a way, which I'm not, I don't condemn the character in the slightest. It's going to help him in interviews when they're like, look, man, we all, in that business, we all know about what you did. You weren't there. He's going to say, yeah, but you know. His next job is going to be shoveling concrete. (laughs) No, no, no. He's going to get a better job than that because he's smart. And some company is going to say, I don't care what this guy did. I got a good feeling about him and he's smart. And it'll be a smaller company, but he'll get a job doing something similar. It just won't be on the scale of what he did this time. And honestly, it won't even matter because he will have accomplished on, on that side of the business what he wanted, which is this massive building. Yeah. Now he can build his little smaller buildings for less money because um, he already got that thing. He won't be... But this man's... You definitely don't get the sense that this is destroying him. Even though... It's, it's hurting yeah. him and everyone yeah. around him, but it... This man it isn't will, destroying This him. man will get a condo. My dad calls it condo man, the divorced man. The condo lives, father. The condo man. He calls it condo. He will get a condo in between the two places, <laughs> and he will see all his kids as often as he can. It speaks well to this movie that this is what we're talking about, and then, you know that we're so concerned about his future because you do care. You can't help but he's not too care good about a man. this guy. He's too good a man for his life. To be ruined, right? But he's not too good a man to be believable, and and yeah. that's so, we, we kind of touched on this uh, before. Um, what's he motivated? Is he the fact that he's motivated for spite out of his father? That's a huge motivation. Does that take away from no, the decency? Because that's not just it. He knows. He knows what it's like to grow up like that, to grow Mm -hmm. up without a father, and he's not going to let that happen to someone else. Mm -hmm. So even though there is the spite towards his old old man, it's not the... I don't actually think it's the primary motivating factor. I think the primary motivating factor is empathy, to not let another child feel this way. I I agree. I think that the father is subtext. He doesn't doesn't make that many appearances. The father also lets... Just fills up screen time. This movie takes place in a car. <laughs> you got to, you got to fill that eighty-five hour, yeah. eighty-five minutes somehow. And it somehow. lets Tom Hardy be Tom Hardy <laughs> as well, which is the madness. Tom Hardy's got madness in him, and without those sequences where he's talking to his dad, you uh-huh. don't get to see the madness. <laughs> and that's what he does best. Okay, I have, uh, I have one last question. Okay. Okay. Um, I hope I can find... Yes. Um, how many sessions with the actor Jared Harris did he have to be able to impersonate him so impeccably? Jared Harris... I love Jared Harris. He's from Mad Men. He's from Mad Men. The this man who, guy... The man, who, who, the man who saved Mad Men in the third season. I love Mad Men. I watched every episode when it aired from the premiere. Mm-hmm. And the second season was a supreme disappointment. And when they introduced the third... They, when they introduced Jared Harris in the third season... By the way, son of legendary actor um, Richard Harris. I... I yeah. didn't know that. Yes, yeah, Richard Harris. They don't even son. look alike. Yeah, but that's his son. I'll be darned. I yeah. had no and if you idea. Know who Richard Harris is. He played Marcus Aurelius in Gladiator. That's probably what you yes. know. People my age would best know him for. Well, no, actually, for for, for your age, they would probably remember him as, as the original Dumbledore. But we won't okay, get into fair. that. All right, so, so, <laughs> we won't get into that. So now, your question relates to my question to Uh-oh. you: Is this character partly Russian? Because he's playing him with a strange accent. 
not a completely English accent, and his name is Ivan. And the first time I saw it and the second time I saw it, I came in with the same conclusion, uh -huh. that Tom Hardy has decided his character's partly Russian. Why? I don't know. His, <laughs> his name's Ivan, and he talks... He talked funny. <laughs> well, I, I was reading that it, he was what he was going for was a Wales accent. All I know is he sounded exactly like uh, Jared Harris in Jared's many hair, of his roles. Jared's hair is, is raspier, uh -huh. and there's a little bit less of this in it. You see, Tom Hardy's doing a little bit of this, whatever this you think is. He's sn sneaking in a little Irish accent. I think he's sneaking a little Russian in. Russian accent sounds like I didn't Irish, detect and it sounds like Russian. Irish. I'm telling you, I think this. Uh -huh. I think he said himself, if the name is Ivan, Ivan Locke sounds Russian. It sounds Russian to me. It doesn't sound <laughs> Well, the Wales. Locke part sounds absolutely British. You know, John Locke. Uh, Ivan you know. Locke, though. That sounds Russian also, to me. Also, Locke, um, obviously the name is I have made up in my head uh, that his mother was from Wales uh -huh. and his father was from Russia. Let's, let's, let's agree to say that it is an indeterminate accent, but it or is Or maybe a... his mother was Russian, but she lived in England, and he grew up in England with a mother with a Russian accent, <laughs> and he has combined a Russian accent and an English accent. Okay. <laughs> so that, so I, I go with my theory that he's not doing Jared Harris, a wonderful actor. Uh, I think he sounds just like him in Mad Men. Uh, just the, the richest, mm -hmm. most smooth accent. Um, I think it's part of uh, what, what makes everybody trust him so much and why everybody's shocked that they... <laughs> That their uh, trust has been violated. By the way, a asking who stole this movie is, you know, we know who wins. <laughs> we know who steals the movie. It's Tom Hardy. It's Tom. the one who should. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, and then my favorite line was the same as yours, which is about stealing a bit of sky. Man, that was good. That but was I also good. like he tells his dad. He goes, "I would dig you up, old man, and then take the shovel and throw the dirt on your face. So the you the dirt and the and the and the and the worms yeah. out yeah. of your eyes yeah, and out of your ears." <laughs> Like, he gets very graphic. He hates yeah. his dad. He, he, I mean, yeah, it is just absolutely <laughs> is filled with acid. Okay, yeah. anything else before we get into ba my bad pitch, at least? You don't have one. I don't have one. I'm ashamed that I don't have one. All right, so my bad pitch is, and I like it better than my word. My bad pitch is, it's Mamma Mia meets Duel. Whoa. Yeah. What? Yeah, so you know what Duel is, the <laughs> yeah. Steven Spielberg movie about the guy in the truck who's like, basically, it's a collision course, right? Right. Eh? But Mamma Mia, because it's a musical about who's the father. <laughs> that is the worst pitch. I love it. It's <laughs> fantastic. Way, all three of those men want to be the father in That's Mamma true. Mia. They all want to be the dad. They, they want to be the dad. And, 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 and but the difference is, he wishes the, he wasn't the better. combination of wanting to be the dad and also uh, this road trip is going to end in disaster, which is what Duel is. <laughs> oh, nice. That, that's, that's a good point. Anyway. The disaster is, in his life is not diverted, but he can live with himself. Yeah, he can live you with know? himself and his life will be okay. It won't be to what it was before, yeah. but it will be okay and he'll have another. Yeah. Children are important, man. I have one. And uh, you got to do right by them. Yeah. It's a, think, it's a remarkable movie, and it's the kind of movie if you are, that focuses on something that, that people don't focus on Only much. when I became a father did I really come to grips with how could you leave, uh, let's say you don't want to be a father and you leave your family. The only way that works, you know, let's say you want to not be a father, you run away from the responsibility because you say to yourself, I won't be happy if I'm a father. Okay. The only way that works is if you have absolutely no conscience. Otherwise, you are going to feel guilty about it for the rest of your life, and you will have wished you stayed and just raised the kid and dealt with some dissatisfaction in your life. You know, it's interesting you, you have should to mention be a, that. You have to literally have zero, zero conscience, conscience to abandon a child. Have you ever zero. seen... Now, you've got recently gotten into Robert Benton movies. Yeah. Okay. And uh, one, of his, one of his most acclaimed, Kramer versus Kramer, 
is about a woman who leaves her, deserts her family mm-hmm. and her son, but she is not depicted the way most women who desert their sons are depicted. Some sort of, you know, mm-hmm. unco- you know, uh, somebody without a conscience and without, uh, mm-hmm. almost sluttish. You know, they, yeah. they can't bear the idea. Right. In that, in that movie, Kramer versus Kramer, there's a great deal of pity. The audience is always going to come down on the Dustin Hoffman character, but the Meryl Streep character, you feel bad for her. You feel sorry for her. You understand why she left. I thought she was an incredible villain in that movie. I, <laughs> I watched the movie later on in life, actually, and I couldn't believe she had the gall to try and sue for full custody. Right? It was full uh-huh. custody, was it not? No, um, I think she not won. exclusive custody. Yes, you're, you're right. Uh, and she got it. She got it. Um, oops, spoiler alert. Sorry. Uh, That's okay. Movie's old. You're right. Um, but there would be visitation. Uh, they yeah. they didn't do split custody back in the, back then as much as they do now. I thought, I thought she was incredibly villainous. Mm-hmm. I had no sympathy for her, and I lost respect for Dustin Hoffman for even. For even having any forgiveness to her, not because she left, <laughs> uh-huh. not because she left, but she but came because back. when she came back, she wanted everything. She wanted everything. Like he had, like to to do what she did, and then to come back and say, "I want it all now. I want full custody over this child." I thought was incredibly villainous. She asked much nicer than the way you put it. <laughs> yeah, but but nonetheless, the hell she put him through, not only in just yeah. the leaving, but then in the coming back and trying to take away his kid. I just thought it was terrible. Um, I didn't like her at all. I have no sympathy for that character. I, I, I think this. I, I think the movie did a really good job after setting you up. Yeah. The, the audience absolutely mm-hmm. is going to be on Dustin Dustin yeah. Hoffman's fa- favor. They took a stab at trying to be fair, yeah. and they 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 did as good a job as you could possibly hope. I, I I was sympathetic I towards her, even while I thought she was wrong for doing what she I did. I wasn't upset at her for leaving. If she had left, come back and mm-hmm. said, "Let's just split custody, man." Mm-hmm. I'm really sorry I left, but like. You know, you weren't a great husband, and I had to get away for a little bit. I would have mm-hmm. been fine with her. But the fact she went for full custody mm-hmm. really burned my sense of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. I thought it was wrong. That nothing he did to her as a, as a husband, which he was just kind of like more into work than into her, merited what she did to him in totality. Not just the leaving, mm-hmm. but the suing. If it hadn't been for the full custody, I would have been fine. Then you wouldn't have a movie. Yeah. Right? The movie's yeah. main conflict isn't at- I guess would you have a movie? No, because um, she wants full custody, like day it, in, day out, and the, the whole point of the movie late, is though. him. It happens late in the movie. The main, yeah, about like the, the main last conflict, third. The main conflict of the movie is really him learning to be a father, right, yeah, without yeah. his wife. But then the drama, but, speaking about okay. uh, being slavishly devoted to plot, uh, uh, the main drama is derived and tested. You know, his, his relationship mm-hmm. with his son is tested. We find out, yes, he is every bit as close as they thought they, that they were. It's just kind of interesting because it's two different takes yeah. on on desertion versus non-desertion. Yeah. Uh, last thing on, on as far as Locke is concerned, uh, go see it because you'll you. He's one of the most sympathetic characters. Yeah. Who's done a Who's done a bad thing? It really <laughs> It really comes into you know, can the act of fixing something you did dishonor can the act of doing an honorable thing to fix a dishonorable thing be disproportionate can the fix be more honorable than the mistake let me quote quote you one last um, if i steal a candy bar from the store and i come back and i give the store ten thousand candy bars (laughs) you know what i mean for interest yeah like is it disproportionate or do you um or 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 more aptly would you cross a, a desert to return the uh 
yeah, the candy right. bar. He crosses you know? a desert. He does. Yeah. He does. Um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. That's okay. Rats. Like, bottle movies. We've been going too long to anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I love bottle movies. I think they- I think they, it'd be fantastic. They always, you know, they really, when they're great, they strengthen, they, they, they're totally dependent on great writing and the best directors know how to shoot in those spaces. Um, I'm not a genre head in any way, but I love bottle movies. I'm always more inclined to bottle movies because I love good writing. I think it's the premise for all good movies. I wanted to mention one other thing. Yeah. Did you notice how 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 fluid the the editing was? Oh yeah. It's... In this movie, they, it was a series of dissolves between one shot yeah. in the car and the other. And I think early on, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just wanted to yeah. see this because I was wondering if if this mm-hmm. was going to develop. I think he. he uh, he's more obscured early on yeah. by uh, glares yeah. of light and other traffic early on, and then the the, the farther the uh, the movie goes on, you still see it, but he, you can see him a little clearer now. Maybe I'm I don't know. Maybe they're, I'm seeing something even, I want to. They're even brave enough to have moments of silence in this movie where he's yes. just driving. It is mm-hmm. not him constantly on the phone. This is a tour de force acting. It, yeah. it, it's 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 great. All right, Steve. That was a lot of fun. See you next time.